You were listening to Heralding Truth, a ministry that desires to provide biblical, gospel-centered messages to encourage and edify the church while equipping to evangelize the lost. Second Thessalonians chapter 1. We've been in chapter 1 uh, since the middle or beginning of May. We'll finish, Lord willing, today. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 6 through 12 and just briefly touch on what we uh, mentioned first or what we looked at last week was the testimony of their faith uh, and of true salvation. The testimony of their true salvation was through their perseverance. Uh, In verse 4, he says, so that we ourselves boast about you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and affliction and afflictions in which you endure. Then verse five, where we were last week and on, this is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. So there we talked about last week is that testimony of salvation uh, through their perseverance, their, uh, they've already been uh, commended throughout the first and second letter for not just their faith and love, but their growing faith and abundant love. And, and that is what one of the things that we've addressed through both of these letters regarding this congregation of Thessalonica was being a good church, was being a gospel church, a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. However, the one problem that Paul has addressed has been some giving over to idleness, to to, uh, being idle because of a misunderstanding or ignorance regarding the return of the Lord. Uh, Some would teach in in the early days as as the apostles and the evangelists and the in the early elders and teachers and pastors would point to the coming of the Son of God would point to the, our very hope today and that's the return of the Lord that's to to restore all that sin has destroyed we are waiting moment by moment on that day uh, so naturally that's always what the the uh, biblical authors and the early preachers and everyone and Christians pointed and encouraged one another with, pointed to and, and encouraged one another with, was the return of the Lord. So naturally, that would be something first on the list of things to teach falsely about. Because that was something so prominently taught, that Christ is coming back, and when he returns, uh, you know, th- there's going to be restoration. There's going to be judgment of the unbelieving world. There's going to be salvation, eternal salvation for the believing world. And so every believer truly looks to and hopes for that return of the Lord. So naturally, as false teachers would come into the church, they would attack that first. The false teachers would come in and they would go after one of the, the major hopes of every believer. And that's to, re- to the return of the Lord and the restoration of all that sin has destroyed. So that was naturally one of the things as well here that there are two issues, whether they were some were teaching that the return of the Lord had already happened uh, in some places that Paul addresses. Some would say it wasn't going to happen. Uh, I think 
if I'm remembering correctly, I want to say Peter addressed as well, where some had said it's not going to happen because everything is going to continue as it has always continued. And so Peter deals with that. And here, the one thing that specifically Paul deals with is he addresses and and uh, kind of rebukes them for idleness. And he tells them they should also rebuke others that are in idleness. And that most likely came from an idea that the Lord's going to return very soon. And so there's not much that we need to do because the Lord's going to return like ASAP. So evangelism was not a priority. Uh, evangelism was not something that they were considering was their most important uh, work. And that was, again, thinking the Lord's fixing to return. So they were believing that they could just be idle. You know, God's going to return very soon. It's all going to be okay. So those the, that's the one thing that we've seen that Paul in any way reprimanded them about or taught in a way of, hey, you need to fix this. Everything else was commendation to them because they were growing in faith and love. Now, verse 4 specifically addresses that their growing in faith and love was apparent and also being strengthened because of their suffering, because of the trials and afflictions that they faced. That's why he says, look, we're boasting about you to the other churches. We're, we're telling the churches of God about your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and inflictions which you endure. So uh, how is it that a person's perseverance is revealed if they're not facing afflictions, if they're not facing persecutions, if they're not facing trials? And that's what he's saying. Look, through what you've been facing, through your persecutions and your sufferings, it, it is known so much that we're going and boasting to others about it. It is known that your faith is growing. Your love is growing. And that's one thing that they have been encouraged about uh, more than once. And he addresses there in verse 5 that that is the plain indication of God's righteous judgment. Now, for the last several classes in here and Wednesday night and Sunday mornings and Wednesday night, I have addressed this idea of God's good and righteous judgment and how as a church we should celebrate and we should find great encouragement about God being the righteous judge because you can sum it up to this. Judgment is the is the rest the well the the judgments that we see daily we have judgments because there's a consequence of sin the consequence the ultimate consequence of sin is death uh, but from sin from the imperfection that we face in this world all suffering comes from and judgment is righting that wrong when god is judging sin it is it is it is God's wrath pouring out on that sin, taking care of that sin. What that sin has destroyed, God is judging that sin. And therefore, ultimately, the final judgment is, is what all these, these smaller judgments that we see all throughout human existence, all of this being a consequence of sin and God judging it through those consequences. But we have a final day of judgment, God's righteous judgment that is coming. And when God's righteous judgment comes, it's finally the restoration. It's the it's the destruction of sin. It's the annihilation of sin. Sin is finally paid for completely. Whereas in in Christ, we have our sins paid for now and today. But we still exist in a fallen world with an unbelieving world that is yet to be judged. And so judgment, God's final and righteous judgment, we should long for because as believers, you know, undeserving or unearned by ourselves, uh, given faith to believe by God's grace 
we rest under the 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 uh, the payment that Christ paid on our behalf. Again, the song that we sang. Yes, He's worthy. He's the ransom for sinners, and so therefore our judgment as believers, because of God's grace, has been paid for in Christ, and so we are waiting for the the rest of of God's judgment to come out to finally. Uh, annihilate all that sin has destroyed and restore all to be made new. So we're picking up in verse uh, 8, actually. So let me let me read, uh, continue where I started in verse 5 and read all the way to 12. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. Since it is right for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give rest to you who are afflicted and to us as well at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire. And this, this fire here is, is God's glory. Uh, other fire that we see is, is destructive fire or it's, it's, it's a uh, judging fire. Here we see there is a day of, of revelation of God's full glory, and that is at the return of Christ, executing vengeance on those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed. For our witness to you was believed to this end. We also pray, or also we pray for you always, that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill all your good pleasure for goodness and the work of faith and with power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, backing up, we see uh, the the straight up pointing to the return of Christ because again this is what was was creating the problem was ignorance regarding the return of the Lord, and he goes even further. Not only that the Lord will return to restore and to save His own, but He's coming to repay uh, with affliction those who afflicted His people. So we've said it many times that the world wants one thing from Christians. And that is silence, and it's by any means necessary. So the world, the unbelieving world, has uh, throughout the church age uh, done what it can to silence the Christian church through imprisonments and through beatings and through all sorts of persecutions, even unto death. Uh, many, many Christians have died as martyrs because they would not repent or they would not recant of their faith in Christ. And so all those, uh, you know, there is a sense of righteous indignation in all the church that will say, God, we long for, for vengeance in the right way. We long for, for vindication for those that have belonged to you, for your name that has been blasphemed, for those that, that, uh, that are your children that have been, uh, killed and have been persecuted. And we do long for a righteous judgment. And so therefore that's why they look forward. He says, it is right for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. And on the same side, and this is happening at the same time, where God is judging those who have hated the word of God, those who have uh, said in their heart there is no God and they have rejected the word of God. At the same time, God is repaying with affliction those who afflict the church and the people of God. Rest is given to those who have been afflicted. All the church that has suffered in this world, God at the same time that he's judging those that have brought upon the affliction through sin, through wickedness, he is giving rest to those who have been afflicted. This is at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven. He is coming. 
He's coming to give rest to his, and he's coming to execute judgment on those who do not know God. So before we move on, skip over to Romans chapter 1, when we deal with those, uh, specific the audience here, those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will pay a penalty of eternal destruction. In Romans chapter 1, we have, beginning at verse 18, the consequence and the, the penalties and the acts of judgment that God gives not only in this world, but in ultimate judgment. And so I'm going to begin reading at verse 18. This is in regards to the world that rejects the truth of God, that does not obey the word of God. Here in verse 18 says that they are actually suppressing the truth. Uh, suppressing the truth is is you know, I've heard it in one example is like taking a beach ball and, and trying to shove it under the water. You're suppressing it, right? It's there. One day it's going to pop up in your face, but they're just doing their best to reject the truth of God, to suppress the truth. So I'm going to begin reading in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, both his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. No human being has any excuse whatsoever to deny the fact of God's existence. They know that God exists because God has made it evident to all human creation that God exists. So they have no excuse. Picking up at verse 21, For even though they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the likeness of corruptible man, and of birds, and of four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. You look at that. What did, what did created man do, who has all the evidence and all the knowledge of God being their creator, being their maker? What did God do in regards, uh, I mean, what did man do in their response to the evidence of God's creating them? They worshipped Yes, they made their own gods. They worshipped what was created rather than he who created all things. And they did it in the image of other created things. This is where, uh, the uh, up there in verse 21, they became futile in their thoughts. It's empty. It's worthless. It means it means nothing. It's uh, it, it makes no sense when when by the grace of God we have the truth of God. We look at this and say, well, that doesn't make any sense. You're literally rejecting uh, the, the, the creator, but yet you're worshiping what he created while rejecting the creator himself. And so this is where in verse 24 is where it begins the judgment of abandonment. And this is where God is giving over to uh sinners, to the unrighteous, to the unbelieving world, exactly what they're asking for. Uh, if as parents you you or are dealing with kids in general, you don't always give kids what they want, right? Because what they want sometimes is very destructive and dangerous. You know, the kid uh, may want to drive the car at eight years old. Uh, if you were so foolish to give them the keys and let them get behind the wheel, soon you would both suffer the consequences. So we don't 
we don't give what what people want because what people want is dangerous. And so in this, they're going to receive the, their due penalty. They're going to receive the the consequence of what they want. And God is giving them that. He's giving them in the judgment of abandonment. He's saying, this is what you want. Here's an act of judgment by giving you that. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So what's important to know about Romans chapter 1? The reason I'm bringing in Romans chapter 1 anyways, because in Second Thessalonians chapter 1, we're talking about the judgment of the unrighteous who are not obeying the word of God. And in Romans chapter 1, we have a very clear breakdown of who that is and what they look like and what they do. Uh, and remember... And something I always say when we start to talk about the unbelieving world and what they do, remember, but for the grace of God, there go I. Remember, if it was not for the grace of God, we would be, as as Paul said in, in Ephesians, we were once dead in our sins and trespasses. We once walked after the course of the world, but God, being rich in mercy with the great love he loved us with, God quickened us. God brought us back to life uh, or brought us to life, everlasting life. So, we don't look at the unbelieving world and say, oh, look at how special we are and how, how wicked they are. We say, thank you, God, for saving me, for, for saving me from that, from who I was, who I truly was in my nature. You saved me from that and the consequences of it. But so another thing to point out, and in this, in, there's three judgments of abandonment, and they are progressive. And that's important to note. Because they go from the first one we read in 24 to just being sexual sin to verse uh, 26, specifically worse by being a homosexual sin. And the reason homosexual sin is progressively worse because now it's going directly against nature. Remember what the context is. The context is man understands creation because God has made known to them creature creator right made known by creature we have creator also made known in creature creator is nature that there is a design and that design is the first one he speaks against god gave them over to the lust of their heart to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them and so there is a sexual sin first addressed but then it gets worse in verse 26. For this reason, God gave them, because they worship the creature rather than the creator, God gave them over to dishonorable passions for their females exchange the natural function for what is unnatural. And in the same way, also, the males abandoned the natural function of the female and burned in their desire toward one another. Males with males committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty for their error. And this is the reason we minister to people in any sinful lifestyle. But we don't avoid ministering and sharing the gospel with someone in a homosexual lifestyle because I don't want them to receive the due penalty from their error. I, by the grace of God, has been freed from my due penalty. God has set me free and put me under the umbrella of Christ's mercy, of Christ's work on the cross. So I'm not going to receive the due penalty that I rightly deserve. So I don't want to see anyone else do that as well. And so that's progressively worse now because they've rejected the Creator 
they're they're suppressing the truth of God. They're rejecting all the evidence of nature and and again the creature uh, being made by a creator. So it gets worse. Not just sexual sin, but literally unnatural sexual sin. And I know today that that people you know really 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 the the world now in America. I mean, they want to crucify you for saying something like that, that homosexual, homosexuality is an unnatural sexual sin. It is. It's a perversion of the design of our nature, of, of the function. And I like the way the LSB puts it here, that it is a, the natural function of male and female. That's obvious. It's very obvious. Anatomically, it's very obvious. And so what they're doing now, their rejection and rebellion to their creator is to literally go against his design. We see that even further in the transgender movement, that now to reject what God literally has made you in your body as, not just what you do with your body, but to go against what you are in your body shows further rejection and rebelling. And people are not wanting to preach and teach and expose these things because they're worried about an idea of being canceled. I, I, you know, obviously I don't have a, a platform that, you know, I guess it wouldn't matter. I don't care. who. I don't care. I don't, I don't want to honor anybody in, in your sin. I want to honor God and, and I want to minister out of love to someone who is going to face what we're talking about in Second Thessalonians chapter 1. They're going to face the vengeance of God. And, and, and so we want to share the gospel with them. We want to see them come out of that. We want to love them to come out of that, uh, love them enough to share the gospel, do it with gentleness and respect that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth so that they may escape the snares, the traps, the chains of the evil one. So continue on now the progressive, uh, the, the, of the progressiveness of God's judgment gets even worse. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to an unfit mind to do those things which are not proper, having been filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, violent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. This is reprobation is another way that it's, it's said in some translations that God gave them over to a debased or a reprobate, reprobate mind. This is where they have abandoned all moral uh, standards. This is where they have rejected all truth. And therefore, if you reject truth, you have nothing but to believe except a lie. And this is the result. Haters of God, violent anger, murder, strife, on and on and on. And then in verse 32, and although they know, and this is what has been said throughout this entire area of Scripture, 18 to 32, they know, they know, they know, they know. Look at when somebody tells you, I'm an atheist, I don't, I know that there is no God. They're lying to you. They know that God exists. They are, they're saying something that they want to convince you of because they don't even believe it. They know, the Bible says, they know the righteous requirement of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death. They not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. And that is something we are constantly seeing, even in people that profess to be Christians. They're given hearty approval to the evil 
of, of this world, to the unrighteousness and disobedience to God's word. Hearty approval. So, what is the end of the suppressing of God's truth and living in unrighteousness is vengeance. He says there in verse 8 that God will execute vengeance on those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Now, we just addressed their not knowing God is a willful hardening of heart. In their nature, they are suppressing. In their unrighteous nature, they are suppressing the truth of God. Uh, Christ's death upon the cross was to forgive such evil sins. And so why that's why we do what we do. That's why when God saved us, he did not just yank us out of this world and take us straight home because there is a message that we tell to save. Uh, to, that, that message in itself, by God's grace, will save and lead people that are, that are depicted as unrighteous towards the, uh, the gospel. God saves them through the gospel. Uh, that once they did not obey the gospel, we pray that they would find life in the gospel. These pay the penalty of eternal destruction. And now this is important too. We've talked about this in our study in Revelation, uh, where the unbelieving world, as they continue to blaspheme God, even though the judgments are falling upon this world and have, even though suffering and the brevity of this life, of this life is very evident, even though uh, all the, the, the things that we pay for because of sin, that affliction uh, comes upon us. Uh, all those, the, the unbelieving world does not repent, right? You see that in Revelation over and over and over. They will not repent. They will not repent. Again, because repentance is a, is a gift of God. And, but what they do want, they don't want repentance. They don't want God. What they do want is annihilation. Annihilation means cease to exist. That's not the word used here. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction. And that's why it's, it's translated as eternal destruction, because that's what the word means. It doesn't mean cease to exist. That's what people want to believe. And they'll say, you only got one life to live, right? I'll live this life however I want to, because, you know, it's going to be over and then I'll cease to exist. I just want to have fun while I exist. Well, again, that's self-deceived. They know the truth. They know there's a God that we have to answer to, and they reject him. Uh, but eternal destruction means forever ruin. It means nothing good, and that's where the next part, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Now, this, is, this is, uh, needs to be uh, explained at times because oftentimes people will say hell is the absence of God. And then they would use a text like this and say, well, that's what it means, away from the presence of the Lord. That's not what that means. The away is is like, or uh, from the Lord, and the away from the Lord is is the away from any of his goodness, any of his glory, any of his peace, any of his, you know, uh, love. It is nothing but the 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 rebuke and the wrath and the justice of God is all that they will ever know in their eternal ruin in their eternal destruction as it would be easier to be annihilated. It would be easier to just cease to exist. But the judgment of God is, is so perfect and so holy. You're talking about eternal souls. Okay. God created eternal souls, souls that will live forever. He did not create us, uh, uh, gave us life and that we will stop being alive one day. We'll, we'll get out of these bodies all right, 
but it's either eternal destruction or eternal life. All right. So this idea away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might is clearly pointing to the any goodness of God. They will face eternal destruction. And I'm going to use uh, some of Matthew Henry's comments on this referring to the unbelieving world, those who have suppressed the truth of God, those who have acted and lived and behaved in all manner of wickedness and rebellion to God. This is who he's talking about. when He says they did sin's work and must receive sin's wages. Their punishment will be no less than destruction, not of their being, but of their bliss, not of that of the body alone, but both as to body and soul. This destruction will be everlasting. They shall always be dying, yet never die. You think about that. They shall always be dying, but yet never die. Christ talks about this, about the worm never being destroyed. That is a constant death. This destruction, I'm sorry, their misery will run parallel with the line of eternity. I love that line. It's a sobering thought. But in the same regards, as Christians, we have the hope that our our living in peace and glory and comfort runs parallel with eternity. It will never cease. So he says their misery will run parallel with the line of eternity. The chains of darkness are everlasting chains, and the fire is everlasting fire. It must needs be so since the punishment is inflicted by an eternal God fastening upon an immortal soul. And I said eternal soul that eternal has the idea of no beginning and no ending. So technically it's immortal. It will, it's, it's began. We, we have a life that began and we'll have a life that never ends. And so that's a better way to put it. This, uh, since the punishment is inflicted by an eternal God fastening upon an immortal soul set out of the reach of divine mercy and grace, this destruction shall come from the presence of the Lord. That is immediately from God himself. So it's not the concept. It's not the idea that God ceases to be somewhere because God is omnipresent. It's that God's justice is, is the only thing that they'll know. His wrath is the only thing they'll know uh, eternally forever. Uh, so the destruction shall come from the presence of the Lord. Now, when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among, at among all who have believed, for our witness to you was believed. This is where it's showing the what's happening at the same time. We see the destruction, the eternal destruction that goes to the unbelieving world, that God will, will right all the wrongs of sin. God will judge all that is left to be judged. And all those that have already uh, by the grace of God, now exist under the, the the protection, the atonement, the covering, the propitiation of Jesus Christ, our judgment has been paid for. The world still waits for judgment. And at the same time that the world is receiving eternal judgment, uh, the church is receiving eternal rest. That day when the Lord returns... It's not many days. It's not a series of events. It's not a, a first this for so many years and then this for so many years. It's the church age. The the brackets or or the bookmarks uh, or the what do you call those things that hold a section of books up anyway? The uh, the bookends. It's 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 the re the coming of Christ, the first advent. It's the return of Christ, the second advent. In that church age, is when all this is taking place. We are. In the church age, we are waiting for the redemption of our souls, the redemption of our body. We wait patiently, according to Romans chapter 8. We wait with perseverance the redemption of our bodies. That all happens 
at the return of Christ. That's when judgment happens. That's when rest for the believers for all eternity happen. And so in, in two aspects, I would say three, what we see in this area, we see in one sense we have a healthy sense of justice that we want all those that afflicted the church, that, that we do want people that have done evil and wicked things, just the same way when you hear a news story about some atrocity that took place. Somebody went into a building and shot up kids and everything else, and you have this righteous indignation that you want judgment for that person, right? Uh, so in one sense, we are going to rejoice that God's judgment is taking place. Uh, we, the, the day of judgment, we rejoice because God is vindicated. Not that he needed vindication from man, but he does vindicate uh, himself by finally applying that final judgment. So we're going to rejoice in that. Uh, we are going to rejoice in the rest that we have forever. And so that's the hope that we carry on day by day by day. However, today we live. And you and I do not know who are the ones Christ refers to when he says, all that the Father has given to me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out, John six thirty seven. We don't know who that is. We don't know who the lost sheep are. So we proclaim the truth of hope in Jesus Christ. We proclaim that judgment was paid for, uh, for those that would believe in Christ. And we, we, we implore, right, uh, to, to a world, we implore you, be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Uh, but we trust those results up to God. And so we live a life, not idle. That's what he's talking about, not idle. We know that destruction is coming. And yes, in the end, we're going to rejoice that God is just. But today, we sound the warning that was sounded to us, the gospel warning. We call all to listen, to hear the gospel, to believe in Christ, that they would, uh, they would then rejoice with us about God's justice. They would then one day in that innumerable number of, of the believers in the end, that they would rejoice in their rest for all eternity. So we have before us exactly what's going to happen. And we also have our our call and our responsibility, and that is to proclaim the call. Uh, to this end, Paul says, we pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill all your good pleasure for goodness and the work of faith with power. Their faith was there. Their love was there. It was growing. Listen, church, we are to grow in our faith and knowledge of the Word of God. We are to proclaim the goodness of Christ as we grow and mature in our faith, constantly looking to that promised end. Okay, That is our hope, the restoration of all things through God's judgment. I'm going to stop right there. Uh, if you've got any questions, comments, rebukes, or reproofs, uh, I'm going to say a prayer, and then you can let me know and I'll do my best to answer or listen to your rebuke. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great grace and mercy. We know, uh, Lord, by your grace, we know by the confidence, the, the, the knowledge that you have given us through faith that there is a promised end coming. We don't know when, but Lord, we long for that day. But I pray you equip us that we take advantage of all the means that you've given to us to, to be found faithful, to be effective in ministering, Lord, in proclaiming the truth, uh, in uh, ministering to all those that we have in our circle, uh, Lord, that we would uh, be a lighthouse in the midst of darkness. We thank you uh, for hope. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that all the wrongs of this life will be, uh, have been made right through Christ, and we will see that final restoration one day. For that we long, and uh, we pray it for your glory, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.
We hope you have been edified by this message. If you have any questions, comments, rebukes, or reproofs, please contact us at heraldingtruth116 at gmail.com.